Mr. Cheney, are you ready to take the oath? I am. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, James Danforth Quayle. I, Michael Richard Pence. I, Spiro Theodore Agnew. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. do solemnly swear. Welcome to episode 15 of Running Mate, our part two of the 2016 election contest between Donald Trump's running mate, Mike Pence, and Hillary Clinton's running mate, Tim Kaine. If you missed the first half of this episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to part one first, where we talk about how this election unfolded, why the candidates picked their respective running mates, and we went through our Trump alternative picks for Mike Pence. If you are all caught up, then let's get into it. As always, I'm your host, Lars Emerson, and joined by my co-host, Mike Levito. What's going on? This week, we're going to go through our picks for Clinton instead of Tim Kaine and build to our big conclusions for the 2016 election. So here we go. Let's get down with election 2016, Pence versus Kaine, part two. In part one, Mike and I had a wide range of picks for Trump. <laughs> what? It was just such a, uh, I don't know, we had some moments, I feel like, in part one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, a diverse spectrum <laughs> yeah. there. We argued whether Trump needed someone with federal experience. Mike picked several governors with zero federal experience, whereas I picked largely Washington insiders. We debated, you know, the benefits of should Trump put a woman on the ticket, but we both conceded, at least, that West Virginia Senator Shelley Moore Capito would have been a good pick. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's the only one we agreed on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's tough. He's a tough, he's a tough cookie. So does Hillary Clinton, very much a figure of Washington herself, need maybe the opposite direction? A governor? Maybe someone from way out west? Let's see what we ended up with in our main act, our picks for Clinton. So I'll kick us off. So I try to think of Clinton's picks as once again, a Venn diagram. It's similar to how I thought about it with Obama in 2008, but with one key difference. So I think you have three goals if you're Clinton. One, you wanna keep a Senate seat. Since the Senate is 46 to 54 with Republicans in control and they've blocked a Supreme Court nominee for a year, Democrats will make two pickups in the 2016 election, we know that in hindsight, and this is absolutely critical in saving Obamacare that you keep a Senate seat which survives by just one vote in 2017. Number two, you want them to come from a competitive state. That's always nice. And number three, you want to appeal to middle America. And yes, just saying that makes me want to roll my eyes, but I think you can interpret that in several ways. Remember, as we talked about in our first episode, this election is decided by less than 80,000 votes in just three Midwestern states. So middle America, I think you want someone who's a little down to earth, can talk to people, because Clinton isn't that person. So my number one pick, I went with Ken Salazar, the former Secretary of the Interior for President Obama, because Mike will surely point out, double Double administration administration pick. pick. (laughs) Alarm just went off in my head. (laughs) Uh, He's also the former Senator from Colorado and the former Attorney General of Colorado. He's a Latino with a comprehensive resume. He's also from a swing state and he has experience working in rural communities, especially on energy and environmental issues and on land conservation and immigration issues. What's not, what's not to love about all that if you're Clinton? As Interior Secretary, he oversaw the most comprehensive oil and gas safety initiatives in U.S. history. He pushed for renewable energy in public lands as well. This is interesting because he's like, he's very much a moderate. I would argue he's more moderate than Clinton. Progressives would attack him for being moderate, but I think he has things he can lean on to kind of counter that. He's very moderate, domestic focused, but independence in this race 
believe that Trump is the more moderate candidate. Don't ask me why, they just believe that. So maybe you do make a moderate play if you're Clinton. And the domestic thing I don't think is a problem because no one's doubting Clinton's foreign policy knowledge. She was, of course, the Secretary of State. I don't know, his job was literally managing the inside of America. Is a DC, like he's got the DC experience, but I don't think you see him as an insider. And he was in charge of Clinton's transition team, a job that he, of course, never really got to fulfill. So she likes him. People like him. There you go. Ken Salazar. Yeah, I don't know. Do Double you, administration! <laughs> well, yes. Do you also worry about choosing a guy who has not had to run for election since 2004 and who has not held a government job since 2013? Uh, I don't. You could kind of put Clinton in that same boat, right? And Clinton had to run in 2006. Right, but do you worry about having two of those people? Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. This is a guy who was senator and then became a cabinet secretary. Who, is anyone going to be like, well, that guy's not qualified no, I don't think to be vice are. president? I, I, I don't know. I just, I am just very, very skeptical of having to, and it's more than just like a double administration thing. I just like two cabinet secretaries from the previous administration. You're looking for someone fresher. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I think so. I get it, that. It, just, it just feels... I guess it just feels a little unimaginative. Even though, like... It's playing it safe. It's playing it safe. I don't know. I, and I, I know that you're right that voters view Trump as more moderate. And which... I was reading the CBS poll today, and they, they did, like, the same things. Like, they asked voters about Trump and Biden, and they've rated them on scale from, like, very conservative, very liberal. And it's like, I can see some sort of, like, Reddit communist out there who's like, I'm going to say Biden's very conservative. <laughs> but, like... I can't see the person who's like, I think Trump is very liberal. Apparently, like, 4% of voters think he is. So, yeah. It's probably um, just, like, Mike Pence. I guess, like, yeah. Being pulled, yeah. he's like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Tom Cotton. Yeah, Tom <laughs> Cotton. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. I, I think you need something fresher, more exciting. I don't think Ken is very exciting. Do you need exciting? Why do you need exciting? Why Trump I, is exciting enough. But, but, well, but maybe that's the problem, right? Trump, again, I think this is also a stupid argument. Like, there's the argument of, like, the enthusiasm gap. Yeah. I don't really think that matters. But I think it maybe does matter a little bit. It, maybe in this case it does. It's, like, you need... And maybe Salazar does, like, bring out more of the Latino vote. But. That's that's kind of why I ultimately put him on this list, is I think the Latino thing... The, like, exp like Julian Castro is a name that got floated a lot for Clinton. We're going to talk about why we didn't choose him, I'm sure. But it's, like, this is a Latino with experience. It's like, Castro, I think, is, like, fresh, but in a bad way. Yeah. It's like, that is an untested campaigner mm -hmm. who has never won, like, a national office. Right, right. Where Salazar has. He won Senate in a, a red state at the time, yeah, 2004. Yeah. Purple state, at least. And I, I, no one could question that, that, that he's not, you know, experienced. Sure. Or Latino. Yeah. Hard to argue that. Not that I think Clinton is going to have problems with Latinos with Trump against, is number five. I mean, to be fair, more Latinos vote for Trump than they did for Romney. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Maybe it helps yeah. her in that margin, though. Yeah. All right. My number five. I went with Steve Bullock, governor of Montana. Pretty unimpeachable record of, of being an arguably liberal on like very democratic issues. Who found success in a very red state. You know, he he did a lot, and he had to work with a Republican state legislator a lot. He was big on expanding Medicare. He's very pro-choice. Big on campaign finance reform. Big on climate change. He just ticks a lot of like good liberal policy positions. But like I said, come from a very red state, so he clearly appeals to Republican voters, or at least enough of them. And again, knows how to work for Republicans, which is going to be a very close Senate, yeah. no matter who wins what. Even though he doesn't have the experience on a national level, 
that'll, that'll probably come in handy. The reason that I only have him as number five, and I like Steve Bullock a lot, is that A, it's Montana. There's a good chance they probably don't even win Montana, and even if they did, it's three votes. It's not going to make a difference. And maybe you want to, like, just given how rough the Obama years were for Democrats at the state and local level, maybe you want to hold on. So he was also running for re-election. Yeah. Maybe you want to hold on to that governor's mansion a little bit and just, like, run your best guy in that race. He could have run for both. Probably would. Probably. Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't know. I think Pence couldn't run for both, I don't think. Oh, it, yeah. it's, it's a state-by-state state law. Yeah. Bullock wins over 50% of the vote in that election on the same ballot as Trump, where Trump beats Clinton by over 20 points. Yeah. I have Steve Bullock as my number four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like a huge Steve Bullock fan. <laughs> he has like a 100% rating from NARAL, right? Yeah. Pro-choice, pro-women's health. He'd like campaign finance reform is his big issue. I think you pull in some Sanders supporters who are worried about Clinton being this dark money Wall Street person. He's definitely moderate, but you know, like you said, he's an environmentalist, or, or at least he carries credibility with environmentalists, but also coal, which I think thing you could use to Clinton's advantage, right? Mm-hmm. He is actually pro coal, which might actually help Clinton in Pennsylvania and Ohio, <laughs> yeah, where she was not pro coal, and I think mm-hmm. that hurt her. And it's why Biden has been very. <laughs> wishy-washy on the issue now and yeah he's like a supporter of these issues that i think progressives you know really like like immigration net neutrality and labor rights all with the republican controlled legislature Mm -hmm. i really like his like vision of the democratic party it's like it's a big tent view you know he was chair of the democratic governors association in 2015 and he said there was a place in this party for liberal moderate and conservative democrats alike Mm -hmm. this is a big tent come on in. He's also the only incumbent Democratic governor to win in a state that Trump carried. And he had a 66% approval rating in 2016. I, like, very much wanted Steve Bullock to be the Democratic nominee in 2020, kind of for all these reasons. Mm -hmm. It's like he was the only one running who had been on that ballot with Trump and won. Yeah. Cool guy. I also think that, you know, when a lot of people, when a lot of governors, I should say, were sort of saying they would not accept Syrian refugees into their states, he was one who said that they were. Mm. With a lot of pushback from the legislature and, and some voters in Montana as well, what, what I think that helps him is he's like, hey, look, I'm a governor who has had to deal with these immigration issues head on, and I've had to deal with them in a state that they didn't agree with me a lot on that, but this is how I navigated it. This is how I deal with it. Like, I... Donald Trump is just making crap up, sometimes literally, but Donald Trump is just winging it when it comes to immigration. It's his yeah. issue, but he's winging it. I've actually had to deal with those issues, and, and I think he can make like a, a, a good centrist case for more compassionate immigration policy. Yeah, I, I agree that Montana, I don't think putting Bullock on the ticket, wins Montana for Clinton, but I, I think he's more of a message thing. It's kind of like what we were talking for Trump, where you can't really, no single state is really going to throw this for Clinton. You need someone who's going to like help you on the margin in like three states. Mm. I think his record on coal, but also like maybe even playing to Sanders voters could help. Yeah. Uh, that was my number four. That was your number yeah. four. My number four was John Hickenlooper, governor of Colorado, former mayor of Denver. He took Colorado from 40th in job creation to 4th, or made popular both sides of the aisles while he did it. He balanced the budget and decreased regulations, but also expanded Medicaid and grew infrastructure and balanced being environmentally friendly with being pro-fracking as well. And he could also incredibly said he opposed pot legalization in Colorado, even though he kind of allowed it to happen. He uh, accepted the people's choice. He did. Yes, it was a referendum. Colorado is still technically a swing state. And his understated personality and bipartisan appeal could help him in the Midwest. I also think that his personality, which I, seems like a very nice guy, I also think his personality from like a campaigning standpoint is my biggest concern with him. Oh, he's a dork. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't think it plays well against Trump. 
I, I don't know. I, I just think that, yeah, like you said, he's a dork. And I just, yeah. I just think that's that's hard to, it's hard to capture the national vote when you're a dork. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah, I don't know. I just think I and like another guy I, I like and would have also liked to be a nominee in 2020 for the Democratic nomination. I just don't. I don't know. Uh, so Hickenlooper is my number three choice. Mm-hmm. There's there is this there's this meeting with John Hickenlooper that Hillary Clinton has at like the height of VP vetting in 2016 and got a lot of people's attention and it very much it read to me like people really seem to like this guy he seems to have like done a miraculous thing for this like once red state i have like i can't not meet with him right yeah and then she met with him and she was like oh that's right (laughs) that's why that's kind of how i think about it anyway i have hickenlooper as my number three choice because I could talk about him for hours, and now I will. Hickenlooper is this Kurt Vonnegut family friend, turned geologist, turned brewmeister, turned mayor of Denver, elected governor of Colorado in 2010, and then re-elected in 2014. Those are huge Republican wave years in a purple state. There's a big Senate election in 2014 where Hickenlooper wins while Udall, the Democratic Senate candidate, loses. People seem to really, really vibe with him. Colorado was also the tipping point state in the last two elections, 2008 and 2012. I think he's unique among Democrats in swing states for actually succeeding in passing meaningful gun reform, promoting both environmentally friendly and business friendly development in the state, lifting Colorado to the number one economy in the nation, and identifies as a fiscal conservative. He wants, he's described it as he he doesn't want more government, he wants better government, which is a very like uh, Bill Clinton way, right? It's Mm -hmm. like the era of big government is over. It's kind of that same kind of mood. He expanded Medicaid in the state. He promoted rural employment and development in Colorado. He presided over the recovery after the 2013 Front Range 100-year flood crisis. He also, of course, stepped back and allowed Colorado to become the first state to legalize recreational marijuana, like you said despite being personally opposed to it. And I think you spin that in a criminal justice issue to get some Bernie fans, you know? Yeah. Because it is. It is a criminal justice issue. Mm-hmm. Steve Bullock, John Hickenlooper, Rocky Mountain Democrats are just, like, really good. They're, like, everything that you think you like about libertarians, but they also believe in better government. It's, like, a libertarian who believes in government. And I think that's what Clinton needs, is she needs, like, some moderate person from, like, the west of the country who's pushing against the view of like an all-encompassing bureaucratic Washington and can work with the nerds to find meaningful solutions across the aisle. Lars, of course, has no personal bias. I love John Hickenlooper. (laughs) Yeah, very, very pragmatic. Seems like he'd be an effective president or vice president. And fun to get a beer with. Yes. It's just the campaigning I worry about. Yeah, I I agree. Mm. Yeah, I I'll, I'll concede that as a stan. <laughs> I, I once went to a lecture of him talking about like the drought in the Colorado River, and it was just like, oh, oh boy, can you pick your topics? <laughs> you are such a nerd. Was this in Colorado? <laughs> yeah, he's like giving a speech in Boulder about like the problem about how the Colorado River is running out of water, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. It's just like. Yeah, he's just talking about like the geology and the water levels, and it's like, oh man, <laughs> this guy, this guy needs to be president right now. Anyway, he's okay. a nice guy. So that was your number three pick. Yeah. My number three pick was Tammy Baldwin, senator from Wisconsin. Of course, she's from a swing state, but she can also appeal to the left wing of the party with alienating moderate voters, especially if some progressives think Hillary's a little too hawkish. Baldwin, for instance, voted against the Iraq War and voted against building a border fence, even when it wasn't a Trump idea, and more enthusiastically opposed the TPP when it first came out, which Clinton initially endorsed. She's a Bernie ally. She was a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, but she's not so left-wing, like I said, becomes to alienate to moderate voters. Obviously, she wins in a very purple state, 
a very politically contentious state that has Scott Walker as its governor. And she would be the first openly homosexual member of a major party ticket. Yeah. Uh, you lose that Senate seat. Probably. What do you mean probably? You do. She yeah. take, Scott Walker appoints her replacement. Yeah. That's bad. There's an election two years later. Okay. <laughs> I, so Which, if Hillary wins, you probably lose. Possibly. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that, that, yes. So, later down on my list, I actually I picked two other senators. One other senator from the swing state. The Senate is close. Yes. You, there, there's a world where, like, you lose Obamacare here, right? Mm-hmm. This, you're playing with some fire when you're putting, like, a senator. Well, lose Obamacare, and then Hillary Clinton vetoes it. Yeah, but that's, that's like, you, like you were saying, that's kind of a win the battle, lose the war. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I care about the Senate, but I also want Hillary Clinton to win the election, so I'm trying to pull those levers and push those buttons. Cause Do you I'm, not think it's possible for her to win the election with anyone else? I mean, you think it, that this is the third best choice she has? It is, but I still think it's the third best choice she has. Like, I still think that you, you gotta take these kind of big swings and, and, and go for the people from states that she lost. And I, I think it's... I think there's an argument to me that she played too safe in 2016, and maybe you had to, to take some risks to ensure that Donald Trump did not become president. Maybe if she were running against Mitt Romney or John McCain, I would not feel this way. Yeah. But considering who she was running against, I, yeah. I, I do feel a little more strongly about that. To run against the most inexperienced candidate in history, she should take a risk by putting someone less experienced and more exciting on the ticket, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very, uh, that's like a McCain-Palin problem. I, Tammy Baldwin is not No, I, I, I know, but you're like more exciting. I, I guess I don't so. see Tammy Baldwin as exciting. I think she's good. I, I I don't I don't I don't know if exciting is the right word, but I do think it is a big step leftward for the party. Also, by the way, she's been in Congress since 1998. But yeah, is bridging with the left worth it? So we've talked about how tickets right, yeah. very rarely actually in the, on the Democratic side, tickets almost never like spread. Sure, yeah. So I don't know. All I will say is is that Debbie Wasserman Schultz was literally booed at the Democratic National Convention. And I think that for as fractured and chaotic as the Republican primary process looked, and maybe in some cases was, they all ultimately fell in line. And Ted Cruz was booed at the convention because he refused to actually (laughs) endorse Donald Trump in his speech. But, you know, outside of that, it was relatively uneventful. The Democratic convention, and maybe I'm feeding into a little bit of the Dems in disarray meme that has been going on basically since then, there, there was just this uneasy air that clearly the party wanted Clinton to be the nominee. And while they didn't actually rig the election, they were clearly trying to make sure that that happened. And I think that there was maybe a sense among some more progressive voters that, well, we've just nominated someone who was married to the guy who said big government is over. And we are getting, as her running mate, a guy who was like, in some ways, I like Tim Kaine, in some ways the ultimate insider, like was literally chair of the DNC. Yeah. A likable guy, not a party hack, but a party person. (laughs) And I think if you pick Tammy Baldwin, you're a little bit like, you know, one of the things I think was appealing about Barack Obama in 2008 was that he didn't have the chance to vote for the Iraq war, but he still didn't vote for the Iraq war. He was a fresh voice, not only for what was going on in the White House at the time, which people were obviously very upset with, but also for a Democratic Party that people think didn't do enough to fight Bush. And I think that Clinton maybe brings back some of those bad feelings. And I think that Tammy Baldwin helps assuage some of those fears on the progressive women party. I get that. Uh, you, you, she can be, like, from the left, but not of the left. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
I yeah, I, I also agree that Clinton needs to, I guess obviously now, probably spend a little more time in the Midwest. Yes. Though I'm like I, I'm somewhat skeptical to the whole like Clinton and the Dems ignored the Midwest thing. Mm. In that they did hold their convention in Pennsylvania. Like I, I don't yeah. think that like oh Clinton Philadelphia is not the Midwest. Uh, sure, it's like I don't think like Clinton ignored the Midwest is like the end all be all of why she lost. No, obviously there are a lot of things that happened. I don't think she took Trump's threats there seriously enough. Why? Like it's that's the crazy. It's Ohio was like clearly going for Trump and just yeah. there. What do they think those other states weren't like Ohio? I don't know. Um, I had to cover Ohio in my elections and voting behavior course. Which we took over the course of the election. <laughs> it was like, and I was like tracking Ohio. I was like, oh my god, this is really, really weird. I hope none of those other states. Anyway, I get that. I just, I cannot justify giving up the Senate seat. Is why I would not pick Baldwin. I think that's that's totally valid. <laughs> cool. Number two, I have Amy Klobuchar, senator from Minnesota since 2007. I had her as my sub Biden for a new VP for Obama in 2012. She's like very much a rising star in the party in the early 2010s, and she's infinitely electable, very high approval rating. She's won every single Senate election by over 20% that she's running. She's now been three Senate elections. This, in a state that Donald Trump is only 1.5% away from winning in 2016. Minnesota almost flips, and it is the longest running voting Democratic state currently. That's right, because it went Democratic in 84. Right, yeah. yeah. In 2016, Klobuchar had also passed more legislation than any other senator that Congress, which she credited to her willingness to work across the aisle. She's also just a loyal party soldier. She hits on kind of that same working mom issue as Hillary. And, you know, she's in the Midwest. She's also like a big Hillary stan. It takes one to know one, you know? She's a very big supporter of Clinton in 2016. With Klobuchar, you keep a Senate seat, you appeal to middle America, and you come from a competitive state. That's why she's my number two. Yeah, so I also picked Amy Klobuchar as my number two. Another thing is that she's actually remains in 2018 when, you know, Democratic senators will lose seats in states like North Dakota and Missouri and Indiana, these sort of like more rural, maybe blue collar states that people associate with Trump. And Amy Klobuchar actually does pretty well in the parts of Minnesota that won for Trump. Like she remains pretty popular in the state even after it does go like barely for Clinton. So I think that... Yeah, she has some kind of appeal that obviously works works in, in those kinds of states. I also think, maybe this is a little mean to Klobuchar to say, but like, she makes Clinton look better in some ways. Amy Klobuchar, maybe she's just a poor debater. I don't think Amy Klobuchar is the most charismatic person in the world. She's a little stiff. She has a little too hard to be folksy. And she strikes me as a person, well, we all know she has some anger issues. But I weirdly think that maybe sort of like makes Clinton, because, you know, I think I think part of the problem is people viewed Clinton as this sort of, they didn't really view her as a person. They viewed her as an idea and sort of in, in some ways a, a force. I don't know, right? And, and just, just kind of like a, just not like a flesh and blood person, I guess. And I, I think that Klobuchar actually helps soften Clinton's image a little bit. Maybe makes her look a little less... I don't want to say robotic, because I don't think Hillary Clinton's robotic, but... I don't know. I, I think that, in, in contrasting Hillary Clinton with Amy Klobuchar, 
her Clint all of a sudden becomes maybe like a little more personable. Which I don't think she's like inherently impersonable, but people thought that. that yeah, it was very much. Uh, I, I do think they kind of have a similar perception. This is kind of more of a known thing with Clint, based on what I've read about Klobuchar. It's like in person, people seem to like really get along with both of them. It's like, oh, they're so loving. I had no idea Hillary was like such a like nice, compassionate, fun mm-hmm. to be around person. But like their their public persona is a little more, and I definitely think this is obviously a gender issue. Is like people see them as like you know these are strong, powerful women. And people seem to be like put off by that. So I kind of yeah I, I kind of dig that where where you're going with that. How do you feel about a double woman ticket? Yeah, so I thought about <laughs> this obviously, and I know when we were doing the Obama picks, I was kind of like wary of like not picking a white dude for Obama. There is probably that thinks if not now when. And it's ironic, right? I think a lot of political strategists, not that I'm putting myself in that class, looking at an election where you're running against a guy who is at least partially, and I'm being very generous when I say at least partially, his campaign is driven by just like rank misogyny. I think the maybe traditional view of that is say, well, you need someone to balance the ticket in sort of the hell direction, right? You need a people, by people I guess I mean white men, view white men as normative, so you need a white man on a ticket to balance that out. I think at this point, though, looking at 2018, I think in some ways, and and I know this election has just been so dissected and, like, autopsied and just, like, people pouring over what happened, why... (laughs) What happened by Hillary Clinton. Yes, right. That it becomes tiring, but, you know... One of the narratives after the election was that, well, the Democrats are focusing too much on identity politics and not enough on things, you know, if you're a conservative, we're not focusing enough on things like free trade. If you're progressive, well, not enough on things like Medicare for all. Of course, those things aren't mutually exclusive, but you know what I mean. But I, I honestly don't think that hammering home the female part, it, I, I think that's like a legitimately invigorating thing. And I think yeah. having two women face off against this gross dude, I actually think it would energize some voters. If you're a voter and you believe a woman shouldn't be president, you're not voting for Hillary anyway. That's why I think you could have a double woman ticket. Yeah. I, it's yeah. like, you're not losing anyone you didn't already lose. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, if you don't think there should be two women running for national office, yeah, screw you. We don't, <laughs> I, yeah. I can't help you. Yeah, and I, I do think that part of it is that it's like, I think the bigger concern is the people who don't think a woman should be running for higher office, because like, well, those people, you know, they're kind of a one-way. Yeah. I think the concern is less that, and it's more so people who don't realize that that's why they don't like a person, right? I think the unrecognized sexism that's just been so baked into them from, you know, decades of living in a society that sends different messages about what women should do and what men should do and things like that. You know, people will tell themselves that they don't like Hillary Clinton because they think she's a phony or inauthentic or corrupt, when in reality they're in the deep recesses of their subconscious are searching for a way to not want to vote for the liberal woman. Right. And I think mitigating that somewhat involuntary response is what I think people talk about when they talk about balancing a ticket with like a white guy but having two women could draw attention to it it could make people think why do i not like these women maybe i'm the problem i think it's giving people a little too much credit. <laughs> probably but like don't you think there would be there would be more of a discussion it's like the news would be like oh do we have an all-woman ticket mm-hmm. maybe we should have more of a discussion about gender this election than we're already having i don't know or at maybe. least voters would be like why does this make me feel uncomfortable you could see a couple people thinking that 
That's true. I don't know. All right, Amy Klobuchar, number one. So I went kind of back to the well on this one. I went with Tom Vilsack, the former governor of Iowa, agriculture secretary under President Obama. A double administration pick. That's true. <laughs> We've talked about Vilsack a few times on this show. I even went so far as to characterize him as a secret weapon for Democrats. And I think in 2016, he is a secret weapon for Democrats. He's a man with a over 40-year-long working relationship with Hillary Clinton. In fact, it's reported that her shortlist came down to Kane and Vilsack. Vilsack is a scandal-free, squeaky-clean, former Democratic governor from the Midwest, who then handled the most rural cabinet department, agriculture, and then complained to Obama that rural America was a forgotten place. He wanted to quit, but Obama asked him to stay on and deal with opioid issues. He spent his last years as agriculture secretary visiting struggling communities in Appalachia, Nevada, and the Northeast before the opioid crisis ever caught on. You know, he was kind of ahead of the curve on that one. His mother was also a drug and alcohol addict, and he was orphaned. He speaks, like, exactly to these kind of voters who feel left behind. And we're talking about, like, the, you know, we've done the selection of death. It's like, that was a big thing. It's like mm-hmm. these people who feel, like, left behind, and so they're antagonized by free trade and globalization and immigration, etc. You know, of course, there is that larger dialogue on why people voted for Trump. The evidence actually points to racial animus was more of a significant factor than economic strife. But I do think this whole rural America is in crisis and I'm here to help it message is something that would like unite the best of the Democratic Party. It unites like the messaging that the Democratic Party has had for years. So it's like we're the party of the working class while also like marketing it with the experience of Hillary Clinton. What the Democratic Party has always stood for in the modern era since FDR has been helping people. Helping people who cannot help themselves. And it's not there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And I think in 2016, you have to make a play like that with Tom Vilsack. Yeah, so obviously double administration picks, so I can't yeah, I sign know. off on it. <laughs> but you, you've persuaded me in some areas, especially I think this sort of, like you said, forgotten part of America, the opioid thing. I, I don't know, I guess I'm of two minds on those issues where, I don't know, I, I, I am intrigued by this idea that... While, yes, economic anxiety became basically a uh, euphemism for racial animus, right, in this election, and it's probably people over Trump, but if you make the election about actual economic anxiety, maybe people who would be experiencing economic anxiety prioritize that over racial animus. Right, the election was never really about that. The election was always about immigration and, like, (laughs) are women a thing that should have rights? Like, I don't know. It's it's just about, like, the oddity. It's never about, like, people are in pain. Well, yeah, and it's because... And I think the reason why we, 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 the royal we, talk about the economic anxiety argument is because that's what the Republicans were very good at turning the election into. That, that's what that's what they said the voters were concerned about and what, what they, they claimed. And because they won these Midwestern states that had rural communities as well as declining manufacturing communities, they were able to credibly spin it into that. But I think if you take that message, you're not really taking that lane away from them, but if you meet them on that lane, then it puts you in a better position, right? Clinton made the election about Trump. And right. Trump made the election about Clinton. I think that was a losing, obviously that was a losing war, mm-hmm. is Clinton should have made the election about about yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It takes the line away from them. It, it maybe renews the faith of what were Obama-Trump voters into sticking with the Democratic Party. They, they do hear my concerns. They do know what's going on in the community. It's going to be a crisis is like, in this time period especially, it's still bad, but this is like when it's got headlines, like there was that big Rolling Stone article about like opioids in Vermont and stuff. And Yeah, so I, I think that's that, that's good. 
I think the flip side of that, and I think I, I'm less persuaded about this point, but I'm still going to make the argument for argument's sake, is does that maybe become an albatross for Tom Vilsack especially? You were working on opioid issues and there's still an opioid crisis. <laughs> but the crisis hasn't actually really peaked at this time it's until Trump. is He's the one that declares the emergency. That's when it gets the headlines. Vilsack's ahead of the curve. I, I think the argument is that like rural communities are discontent with the Democrats. Does putting the person who was basically in charge of making sure those rural communities were happy in front of the Obama administration maybe bring attention to a issue that you were trying to avoid. I'm not sure that I completely buy my own argument on that, but it's something to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also think you're hard-pressed to find people who don't like Tom Vilsack. Yeah, all right. So my pick, I went with my boy. Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio. Again, he is from a swing state. And to date, the last Democrat to win a statewide office in the rapidly reddening state of Ohio. And he can provide Hillary Clinton with some left-wing credibility. You know, he has very big ties to unions and union leaders. And he's also been very anti-free trade his entire career. He literally wrote a book about it. And has even praised some of Trump's tariffs, especially on washing machines. Is the gap between him and Clinton on free trade potentially problematic? Sure, but she's already pivoted on the TPP, and Brown's leftism is one that seems to resonate with blue-collar white voters. At least enough for him to win again. Like I said, in Ohio, probably the reddest of the Midwestern states that did flip to Trump. And I just think that you get a lot of what the Bernie people wanted in a more acceptable package, I guess. He's establishment, but he's progressive. Right, yeah. He's actually kind of rare in that. It's yeah. like he's like yeah. Democratic leadership. He's ranking member of the banking committee, yeah. for God's sake. And I don't believe he actually endorsed Bernie Sanders. And I no. like yeah. yeah, and he's like even now he's like he he certainly didn't in twenty twenty and he's also like hedged on things like Medicare for all, where it's like I think he knows his limits and he knows his electoral limits. And I think he's good at sort of like riling up what people viewed as like the forgotten parts of the Democratic base and turning them out to vote. Yes, I know that John Kasich would pick his successor, but that is a risk I am willing to take. Ohio is also not a close state. It goes for Trump by over 8%. Yeah. I'm, and again, I'm less concerned about Ohio than I am Michigan and Wisconsin. If Places that, are, as we discussed, elect Sherrod Brown. <laughs> well, no, they don't. But, you know, if he could do it in Ohio, why can't he do it there? Oh, so all Midwestern states are the same, huh? No, but... <laughs> I, I, I do think... If Sherrod Brown were, you know, if he'd, if, if there were a Democratic governor in Ohio, I think Sherrod Brown is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he is establishment, he endorsed Clinton, and he's left-leaning in establishment packaging. Mm-hmm. I cannot, it's just a guaranteed Senate loss. And the, the Sherrod Brown Senate seat is, like, very, very important. <laughs> it's not like the Wisconsin one, where it's like Democrats have a pretty good chance to, or at least a toss-up to pick it up. Yeah. Democrats suck at getting elected to statewide office in Ohio, and they have mm. for like 30 years. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a seat that you cannot... Sherrod Brown, like, has to be protected. Mm-hmm. You, you would just... You would piss up... Like, Harry Reid would kill Hillary Clinton if she chose <laughs> Sherrod Brown. And uh, he was on her short list, but it's why he didn't make it. Yeah. It's just like, everyone was like, yeah, he's really good, but you just... You cannot. Mm-hmm. That Senate seat is too important. I do... Two other things with Sherrod Brown. Mm-hmm. He, I think of almost everyone else we've picked, is a lifelong politician. Sherrod Brown has been in public office for years. Mm-hmm. Longer than Bill Clinton, I would say. Longer than yeah. the Clintons. Yeah. He's 
he is very much a public servant, mm-hmm. but a very much a lifelong politician. Yeah. You're putting two perceived lifelong politicians on a ticket together. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I honestly think that in a lot of cases, the medium matters a lot. The medium being the candidate, where it's just like, I understand that he's literally a lifelong politician. So is Scott Walker. But people ended up fooling themselves into thinking that he was not an establishment hack. You bring up Scott Walker. Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. So Sherrod Brown obviously loves unions. Mm. Scott Walker obviously hates unions. Right. Trump's whole talking point is, yeah, the union bosses don't like me, but the union workers do. Mm-hmm. Does Scott Walker hurt Trump with unions, and does Brown help Clinton with unions? How do you play these two? Well, I was thinking Brown would help Clinton with unions, yeah. Yeah. Does Scott Walker help Trump with unions? Or hurt Trump with hurt unions? Hurt Trump with unions. I don't know. I think that's an <laughs> he point. hates unions. He does, yes. Yes, he does, really. But I I don't know enough about unions to be say what I'm about to say. I do wonder, because I feel like Scott Walker's biggest fights were with teachers' unions and, and public sector unions. Mm. And I feel like those are perceived very differently than, say, steelworkers' unions. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get the public sector thing where their salary literally comes from the state coffers. So, you know, they have, they're going to have to make compromises if we want to balance the budget. Blah, right. blah. So, yeah, may, maybe that there's a difference there. I don't know. My last thing was Sherrod Brown. The ideological difference is real. Brown and Obama don't really get along. Brown, much like Sanders, is like a huge thorn in Obama's side. Mm-hmm. Obama is a free trade kind of guy, and Brown and Sanders are just like poking him. Brown kills his Federal Reserve nominee. There's some tension yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's good tension, like you're saying, trying to bridge the left and the moderate. But I do think it's very awkward. Because I picked Sherrod Brown as like an Obama running mate in 2008. Mm. And I do think having them govern together would get a little dicey. Yeah. But, like I said, it's like maybe it moderates Clinton. Maybe it makes Clinton look more right. moderate. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it makes Clinton look more moderate. I don't know if that's how that works. Yeah. I, I <laughs> Actually, know. now that but, I say it. Yeah. I don't think if Joe Biden picked... Rashida Tlaib, people would be like, you know, this makes Biden look way more moderate in comparison, <laughs> right? But, I, yeah, I, I think it's a difference because Obama was the less experienced politician of the two. Right, right. So he picked a moderate so that he'd look at more moderate. I don't, I don't know. Well, he, he, he yeah, it, the idea, I think it had less to do with Biden's moderateness than to do with his experience. Yeah. All right. Sherrod Brown. Yeah. Those are our Democratic picks. As for trends for those, we have... Midwestern senators, a lot of middle America governors. Mm-hmm. With the exception of Salazar, these are all white people. <laughs> yes. Why? Why no African Americans or more Latinos, etc.? There was no one whose seat I wanted to give up that... <laughs> of, the, of the abundance of African Americans in, in the Senate. Well, that too. I, yeah, there just wasn't anyone sort of like shouted out at me as like an obvious pick. I thought about Deval Patrick... But Bain Capital Deval Patrick. Exactly, but he was obviously governor of a state that really did not need any help. To, you know, yeah. he was from Massachusetts. Yeah, and also it says some like weird controversies in his past that I don't think would have played super well. Okay. What? What about what? What? Don't don't make just me answer. Sure. So I did think about Cory Booker. Yeah. You lose a Senate seat there too because Chris Christie is still governor. I'll get to this in the speed round, but I did have one that I actually came close to putting as number five. I'll okay. get there. As for who Clinton actually considered, a lot of people. Several lists were leaked or released, 
and among them were Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, Representative Javier Becerra of California, Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown, Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro, Labor Secretary Tom Perez, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, Ohio Representative Tim Ryan, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, former NATO Commander James Stavridis, and of course, Everyone's favorite, Tim Kaine. I almost did pick Javier Becerra, but um, I don't know why I didn't. He's a congressman from California. Yeah. You're not, and what do you need? As for what happened to Tim Kaine after this election, he introduced Clinton for her concession speech the final morning, and the 2016 election was the first ever election that Tim Kaine had lost. But to quote a Washington Post article that came out about a week or so later, as he went back to work in the Senate, quote, nothing about his demeanor would give it away. Republicans got a government trifecta with both houses of Congress and the White House, and Kane called the Democratic Senate minority the only emergency break on the fundamental values of the nation. I want to thank Tim Kane and Ann Holton for being our partners on this journey. It has been a joy getting to know them better, and it gives me great hope and comfort to know that Tim will remain on the front lines of our democracy representing Virginia in the Senate. He was up for re-election two years later in 2018, where he was handily re-elected against a Trump-backed candidate named Corey Stewart, who called people cuck-servatives, had an awe for Confederate symbols, and got in trouble for editing his own Wikipedia page. By the way, Corey Stewart, yes, he is running for office in Virginia, the whole Confederacy thing. You know where he's from and grew up? Where? Minnesota! I don't get it! Like, why Why is he that into the Confederacy? Well, maybe he really loved it. He grew up that's in Minnesota, why he, he loved why he it, so he moved to Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. All these things, like, this is what this guy is famous for. This is, like, in his opening paragraphs of his Wikipedia page. He's editing his Wikipedia page. It's so funny. Anyways, Tim Kaine has continued to be an important voice in armed services and foreign relations issues on Capitol Hill during the Trump administration, encouraged support for foreign assistance. He's introduced war powers resolutions to limit the U.S. entering hostilities with Iran unless there was an imminent threat. All right, the speed rounds. Uh, Any names you got that would have been fun, Mike? Yeah, so I thought about Steve Beshear for Hillary Clinton. He is a, I believe at this point, former governor of Kentucky, a Democrat, of course. Yeah, why not pick a Democratic and win in Kentucky? Was kind of my thought, but he's also a little older and hasn't been governor for a bit, so it it just didn't make sense to me in light of my other choices. So I had fuel for the Democrat. So I did write down Julian Castro, who like I (laughs) very much thought it would be for a while in like 2012 mm-hmm. just because he gave like the keynote in 2012 yeah texas is not like it's closer but it's not close enough he's also just like a baby kind of also just like i don't know why i didn't do this already but have him run for governor or senate he was in the cabinet he I does know. have experience i'm not saying he doesn't have experience i'm yeah. just saying that i think he's more valuable to the democratic party yeah. in other capacities yeah he should have run for senate this year yes or you know last time yeah. 2018 mm-hmm. i i agree <laughs> what if you did Clinton Gore again? Why not? I'll, I'll put Al Gore on. You're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, right. I did think about James Stavridis, the military man who's from Florida, by the mm. way. But I just I don't think he's politically well connected. Yeah, as generals so rarely are. Yeah, and like I I also th- I thought about John Allen. Yeah. It was also a general, and not NATO, but it was like the international thing to combat ISIS. Yeah. But. Why? Why she was Secretary of State? Why do you need like a, another foreign yeah. policy guy? I, I don't know. Yeah, and it's like generals. I, I it's hard to imagine them on the stump. And I just I John I, Allen gave a really good speech at the DNC. Yeah, I and I don't. 
I think if you're Clinton, you may actually want to draw attention away from wars. That's true. Yeah. My last one for the Democrat, I wrote down Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox from North Carolina, former mayor of Charlotte. He's an African-American cabinet secretary, was mayor of a major city. And I was watching, I was like watching some interviews with him. I, I kind of dug it. I liked it. Sure. I don't know, even for the Republicans, Mike? Yeah, I thought about Sam Brownback, governor of oh Kansas, God. and then I read about <laughs> Sam Brownback. And even how he Kansas had, hates him. He had a 65% disapproval rating uh, at his, the time he left office, so that uh, that that seemed like a big no. But I, I was thinking about him because he was, I remember there was a 538 article that was written a few years ago. Where was, what he did in Kansas was like what the like conservative plan was for like the rest of the country yeah it failed miserably apparently yeah and the article was literally about like this is how it's been failing but yeah that that that's why i thought that no i also for republican i wrote down uh jim webb who runs as a democrat in the primary sort of Mm. but he's like very conservative and everyone was very confused he like shows up and he's like jim webb and he's like clearly like way out of touch with democrats well it's funny because his big thing was talking about his service in vietnam and he he came off as kind of like crotchety and very much fixated on war but did you know like his big thing when he was in senate was that he was actually very much against the iraq war Mm. and like but that goes with trump's message too yeah Yeah. well and it was a big i was i didn't no, like he, I guess, I guess his son was in the Marines during the Iraq War and was deployed in Iraq, hmm. and for whatever reason, he was in his picture taken with Bush. And Bush was like, "How's your son doing?" And Jim was like, "Well, I hope he comes back real soon." And like, it became like a bit like they were like they started like arguing about the Iraq War. Bush like did not like him at all. That's perfect. If you're Trump, you want to be anti-Bush and anti-Clinton. Yeah, and from Virginia. Yeah, yeah that's not bad. I also wrote down Mary Fallon, the governor of Oklahoma. Mike talked me out of her. <laughs> it's like she's a she's a crazy. She is not so good. Like she defied court orders to remove Ten Commandment monuments on like the Oklahoma Capitol grounds. Just like a hardcore, really lean into that what Trump loves, which appears to be like blonde female Republicans. Yeah. I don't know. She was also unpopular in Oklahoma, and like her daughter moved a mobile home onto the lawn of the governor's mansion so she could which live there. Not trashy is, at all. And illegal, because she was using power, I guess she was like, I don't know how it worked, but like, the power and water that was like being fed to the governor's mansion for her mobile home. Oh which is God. obviously illegal for a few different reasons. Alright, while we're in the speed round, because of the Ted Cruz weird, how he picks Carly Fearing yeah. as his running mate, for many running mates, who would you pick as Ted Cruz's running mate? So, I don't really know. I At this moment, I would say Kelly Ayotte, senator from New Hampshire. There's pretty a Senate seat you'd lose, too. Exactly. That That's why I have it as, like, a kind of... She's, she's up for re-election. She'd end up very narrowly losing to Maggie Hassan. Yeah. So that, that, that would be a problem. John Kasich, I think. Yeah, no, that's good. That's yeah. a good pick. Yeah, that's a better pick, yeah. But I, I do think Cruz had the right idea when he picked a woman. Yeah. I'm just struggling to think of... Yeah. Swing state women. I agree. Which yeah. is why I want Kelly and <laughs> Yeah. Okay. The big conclusion. If you could change the running mate for the two candidates, Mike, would you? So, in Trump's case, it worked, so it's always hard to say yes. I think given what Trump had to work with, and given how many people were saying no, I actually yeah. think Pence is a pretty good pick. Right? He, Which, like, we talked about this last episode. He, like, hits everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I would not have said that in 2016. I thought it was a really bad pick because he was so clearly anti-LGBT. But clearly that didn't matter this time. But now we know that everyone else said no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. So, yeah. As far as Clinton goes, I like Tim Kaine. She did not lose the election because she chose Tim Kaine. I do think she has some better options, though. Then you think that is Sherrod Brown, who loses you a sentence. I think it's Sherrod Brown or it's Amy Klobuchar. Tim Kaine is fine. Tim Kaine is safe. 
Tim Kaine does not excite. In yeah. in your ranking of people, you picked five people. Where would you put Tim Kaine? If Hillary was like Michael, pick <laughs> right. my running mate. Yeah, you'd be like, well, it's got to be Sherrod. If not him, then this. Where would you put? Kane? I honestly think he'd be six. Really? You would put Hay Looper and Bullock in front of Kane? Maybe. Between four and six. So you think... Tammy Baldwin, Sherrod Brown, and Amy Klobuchar would be better choices. So anyone from the Midwest, really? <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. Not, that's not like why I would think they'd be better than him. I just think that Tim Kane is not what she needed that. Maybe, I think there's an argument made if she's running against, like I said, Mitt Romney or John McCain. I think Tim Kane's a little better. I just think you need someone for like a little more heat to go after Trump. Okay. I like Tim Kaine, but... Everyone does. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, with Pence, I agree. Given the options, Pence is clever. I I think I now, after doing all this research, I I have more of an appreciation for how Pence came to be. For Kaine, yeah, I don't think he made or break this election for Clinton. The double insiderness of it Mm -hmm. is a little just odd. I don't know if you want to run such an insidery ticket. Mm. I don't think he's bad. He's not what went wrong. Yeah, exactly. He's just not what went right. If, if you asked me to, like, all right, fix the problems of the Clinton campaign, he would not be top five, probably not even top ten. All right. Well, that is our show. As always, you can find us everywhere that podcasts are found. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. And you can find all of our works on thepostwriter.com, including our Running Mates portal, for all of your vice presidency-related needs. In the meantime, I have been Lars Emerson. And I'm Mike Levito. And we will catch you in a few weeks for our final episode a special episode in the heat of the 2020 presidential election and the ongoing vice presidential showdown between Trump's Mike Pence and Joe Biden's pick of Kamala Harris. See you then.